Welcome, welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by thehockeythinktank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We bring back on ADM Regional Manager with USA Hockey, Bob Mancini, and we get to a ton of awesome, awesome topics, which we'll get to in just a sec. But before we do get over to Bob, let's bring on the talent of the podcast, Jeffrey Lavecchio. Jeff, what is shaking today? Not much, Toph. I got a big chubby for this episode because I absolutely (laughs) love Bob Mancini. Bob is just a good dude, man. Like he is. Ever since I went to that the, the coaching seminar last year, because it was my first year not playing and, and co- starting my coaching life, uh, and he, you know some of the speakers were a little bit, you know, boring or or whatever. Um, you know, just because I, I at least I think I know a good amount about hockey and played a long time and yada yada yada. Bob comes out and just rips the stage, and everyone was glued to him. And you know, he's a very personable guy. You can feel the passion um, when he's speaking. And, uh, I, I feel like you and I are that way too. So I immediately, um, you know, took to him and then we had him on the podcast the first time he's in St. Louis one time, like a few months ago, he reached out to me. He's like, Hey, let's grab a coffee. And I was like, dude, like, that is just so cool. Like this high level USA hockey guy came on the podcast and now we're friends and, and we talk about hockey and I was really excited. It's funny. You and I reached out to him probably the same day, I guess. And we're like, Hey, do you want to come back on the podcast? <laughs> Cause I didn't know you reached out to him and I was about to tell you, Hey, I reached out to him. He he said he'd come back on any time. So, so like I said, I, I was really excited to do this all morning. I was looking forward to this. So pretty, pretty happy to have Bob on. Yeah, he's an unbelievably charismatic guy. And I think the one thing that's really cool about him, too, is that, you know, USA Hockey, when people talk about it, uh, it's not co- controversial is not the right word, but like it may be a little bit controversial, like. It, it triggers people to say the least when ta- uh, they talk about USA hockey and stuff. He's very open. Like he's very open and honest about a lot of the decisions that they've made about a lot of the things that they do there. And it's such a great window into the culture of what USA hockey is. And I think it's very good for people to, to hear what he has to say. And again, he was the second most downloaded episode that we've ever had on the podcast, his first one. And I think this one was even better than that one. And we get into a lot of great topics and, and uh, yeah, he's just very, very honest and very charismatic and very fun to talk to. Yeah, and what I what I really really respect about Bob too is that he on behalf of USA Hockey is not afraid to be like, you know what? We we maybe we got that wrong. Maybe that wasn't right or or there's a better way. Cuz like we're all going to make mistakes in this world obviously, and there's not just one way to do things. So I mean, I look at I look up to Mike Boyle big time as you know. And and if you haven't heard the podcast we did with Mike Boyle, go back and find that one. I believe he's one of the best hockey strength coaches in the world. Guy out of Boston, unbelievable. Um his big thing is that like what I'm doing today is the best I, that I, that is knowledge that's available today. This is the best we have. So we're going to do it this way. But in five years, 
that knowledge might become obsolete, but guess what? I'm not sticking to this because today I'm saying it's the best. I want to continue to grow and get better and learn and always be perfecting my process. And Bob is about that with USA Hockey, and I really respect that. I, I really, really respect that because we're all going to be wrong a lot in our lives. So instead of trying to stick to your guns and be like, well, no, we're just going to do this because that's the way we're doing it, like Bob isn't that way. I don't know about the rest of USA Hockey, but I know Bob is that way. Yeah, well, I feel like they, they certainly get that reputation at times and uh, at times it might be warranted but having Bob on here to, to talk about some of the decisions and eh, just like what you're talking about talk about the things he wish he would have done differently and things like that but hey at the end of the day he's not afraid to, to put his head out there and make some changes for the betterment of the development of the kids in our country and you have to respect that because he works very very hard at what he does um, he's very very smart and, and he cares and you can tell about that in, in the podcast so um, very very fun to have him on again and uh it's there's a little bit of lightning and thunder in this one too so it's it's uh it was great a little bit of thunder little bit of lightning yeah you guys are you listeners are definitely gonna have to stay tuned but i think it's probably about halfway through the episode when tof really triggers bob uh <laughs> he definitely set him off with one topic that we wanted to talk about it was pretty awesome i loved it i love when people get passionate and get fired up and get excited and um so that was really fun hearing him hearing him go uh get get that intense yeah, yeah, for sure. But I, for me anyway, it was a great episode on top of that because we had a little bit – I call it an announcement. Don't want to make a big deal about it. But uh, we have some new things here at the Hockey Think Tank that are extremely, extremely exciting. And uh, actually, I'm going to be a hockey director next year up here in the Syracuse, New York area for a AAA organization. And – it's going to be revolved around the hockey think tank. So the team's name is actually going to change to the hockey think tank. And it's going to be such an unbelievable experience because um, we are able to talk about all these kinds of things regarding hockey development. We talk about all the time and we're able to uh, talk about all this information and give information out to the masses. Well, now I actually get the chance as a hockey director and I'm going to coach the 18U AAA team as well to actually put what we're talking about into action. So everything that we've talked about, everything that we believe in terms of development uh, for kids on and off the ice, about coaching development, uh, about parent development and parent education, uh, we're going to be able to actually put it into action. So I am so, so, so excited. Uh, Syracuse Nationals program is a very reputable program around the country um, and looking to bring the hockey think tank principles to it, actually called the hockey think tank now. And uh, it is going to be so much fun, man. I cannot wait. And we were able to ask Bob on the podcast, it's actually at the beginning of it, if you were a hockey director, what would you do as, as somebody that's high up in USA Hockey? And he gave us some great advice, and I'm really looking forward to, to starting up, man. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, dude, that is that is so exciting. I mean, massive congratulations to you. And what's exciting is you get to put your money where your mouth is. We get to see how much all these things that we bring these higher level thinkers on and and players and coaches and whoever get to put all these things to use and and show why it works, how it works, how you can do things a different way and get the same results, but better results. Most likely I'm really excited for you. It's very, very cool, man. If you guys have a uh, slogan to, to get fans into the rink, you should call it fill the tank. (laughs) (laughs) Let's fill the tank. Good man. I like it. I actually have a slogan already. It's very simple, but very powerful. Ready? What is it? Yeah. Kid, kids first. Ooh, I like that. 
Love that. Everything, every decision that will be made uh, will be a collaboration, number one. So it's not like I'm going in there and being like, you know, we're doing things this way. Like, I, I think collaboration is something that's very, very important. But every answer to every question that we'll have as we're setting the groundwork and laying the culture and the foundation will all be answered by what is best for the kids. The kids come first. And I would love, love, love to build something sustainable where it's an entire organization. And we get it, we get into it on the podcast. A lot of problems happen in youth hockey organizations because there's no streamlined process. There's no one overall overarching foundation um, or philosophy. It's basically a bunch of teams that do things their way and you know, it's not synchronized. And so that's one thing I would love to build and, and get some input from a lot of different people. I sent a tweet out the other day, uh, maybe like a week or so ago where I was going through and trying to brainstorm and I got some unbelievable ideas from people that, that wrote in and texted in and stuff. So, um, it's, uh, it's like a Petri dish where, and I'm going to model it after the national program and what Ryan Hardy is doing with the Chicago steel, you know, and it's all about development. We're not going to skimp every, de- every decision that will be made has to do with the kids development. And uh, you've seen the success, obviously, that's been with the national program. You've seen the success with what Chicago's doing in the USHL right now and how, how great they've been over the past couple of years since Ryan took over. And uh, I'm just, dude, I'm so excited. I'm excited to coach again. I'm excited to coach at the 18U level. We've been very vocal on this podcast uh, about how many people think of the 18U level as, as uh, almost like a write-off. Um, I, I think that's the biggest problem in youth hockey today, and I'm excited to coach at that level, and I'm hoping that other coaches around the country will put as much stock into that level as I'm going to. And man, it's just like, there's so many good people around this area. I have to say thank you to Scott Montagna, who's the president of, uh, of the organization right now. We've had some unbelievable talks and, uh, it's just, man, dude, it's like so exciting to, to be able to grow this thing from the ground up. Very, very cool. Schwing. I'm excited for you. <laughs> Wayne's world reference. There you go. <laughs> yep. Um, you know what I think you should you should make a priority for like all the teams. Is this only a AAA organization? No, or there's there's uh, it's mites all? all the way up, and they they also have tier two or, uh, players in there as well. I think as much as you can, like because we've talked extensively, especially in our mom's episode, about how how imperative it was on on your successful teams when you were a kid that your mom was the manager and how good of a job she did making sure there were team gatherings. And it wasn't just the players. It was the parents too. Everyone's there. Parents, siblings, players, like coaches, everyone's there getting to know each other. Everyone's having fun. Like those are the most fun times that I would come to Chicago and hang out with your team because I was like, man, like we don't have this in St. Louis. Like everybody's hanging out. It was like so much fun. And then that translates to a better experience for the kids, you know, learning more about teamwork because you're, you're more excited to hang out with your friends and your team. And I just think that you should probably make that a, uh, a priority with whoever is the team manager of each team being like, Hey, like this is going to be a focus. We want this because it will increase the, the experience for the kids. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the, the whole culture and we talk about culture a lot, probably we use the word too much, but it's, it's something that's extremely important. And actually something that Bob talked about as being extremely important too. That's not just the kids. I mean, if they're the parent, if there's infighting with the parents, I mean, <laughs> see you later. Yeah. It's not going to be a good experience. And at the end of the day, honestly, when I think about, um, the collaboration that we'll have with the coaches that are there already and, and the directors and stuff, at the end of the day, what I would really love is for the rink to be a place that the kids just can't wait to get to. 
they can't wait to get to the rink to play hockey. And I think if that's the goal, that's the overarching goal, kids first, put the kids first, and that's what you're aiming to do is to make sure that the kids are so excited to come. I mean, I think development is going to happen no matter what is going on on the ice if they're excited to go there and they know that you have their best interests at heart. So it's, dude, man, like I'm so excited. It's going to be so much fun. It's going to be a lot of work, but um, we're putting the Think Tank name out there, um, and this is going to be something that uh, hopefully and, and I know will benefit a lot of kids in this area very cool man those kids are lucky i'm excited for your brother so we'll see maybe we'll get jeff lavecchio out to uh to teach them how to eat protein and and uh and flex and all that kind of stuff yeah buddy if you need team gear i got you bro my humble (laughs) hockey guys and my clothing line will hook them up don't you you worry let's do it Uh, I like it. Well, going back to the podcast now, it was so great to, to have Bob back on here. Uh, so much wisdom. He's been doing this for a long, long, long time, and he's done it at every kind of level. I mean, you talk about coach, you talk about administrator, you talk about now he's ADM regional manager. He was part of uh, um, starting the national team development program years and years ago, and so he's just had a great footprint, one of the great ambassadors for USA Hockey, and uh, really want to thank him for coming on. But we also have a couple more thank you that we want to do jeff you want to take take one uh i'd like to thank myself for being on this <laughs> podcast today bringing the energy bringing the life wait is that not what you were talking about am i it not was. in the trust tree in the with nest, the nest yeah. and uh maybe it's something i've never seen before odds <laughs> are it's your standard white cotton <laughs> oh. if you don't know what that's from shut the radio off now old school old school thank you very much yeah uh, yeah, I just like to take an opportunity to thank uh, our title sponsor, Gel Sticks. Um, it's actually funny. I had an NHL ref in the gym today um, who I just started training because he got injured uh, recently and he's trying to get back in shape. And uh, he wants to buy a gel stick for his kids. So we were going over like the hows, the whys, how to use it, the different ways. It's not just a shooting tool. There, there's so many different things you can do with them. Anyone out there is interested in, in other ways other than shooting and stick handling, which are the obvious ones to train with a gel stick, just shoot me a dm on instagram after you follow me what's up peace um and uh <laughs> and uh I'll, I'll even send you videos of things i've done with the guys in the gym and the girls in the gym but uh yeah our code for gelsticks.com that's g-e-l-s-t-x.com is think tank all capital letters and that'll get one you word. A, one word no spaces don't hit that space bar or else you're dead to me and uh <laughs> yep yeah, so go to gelsticks.com get your gel stick and it's just such a cool piece of equipment that that will definitely increase your shooting and stick handling muscles uh to the nth degree so uh if you don't have one of those pick it up absolutely man and also as always we want to thank you the listeners for tuning in with us every week uh that's why we do it is to to hang out with you and we hope that we've become the go-to podcast uh if you're a parent uh, especially with you and your kids on your way to the rink. And uh, uh, we've had, uh, honestly, we've had people that have texted us or sent us DMs uh, that have told us that it's uh, it's really great what we do because they get to, it's a bonding thing for, for kids and parents in the car. And I mean, that's so cool because I remember driving to the rink with my mom and dad, particularly my dad, because he was usually the one taking me. And uh, we actually we used to listen to Loveline, if you can believe that. It was a show with Adam Carolla and Dr. Oh, Drew oh, I way can believe- back in the day. 
today. <laughs> believe it. I know your dad. I know you. So, I so I was learning things about the human anatomy that I didn't need to know at 13 years old. I can tell you that much. But hopefully this is a little bit uh, a little bit more PG than uh, what I was listening to in the car in 19 or yeah 1998 or whatever it was. Um, but seriously, we we thank you guys so much for tuning in. And uh, uh, one thing that we ask you is is if you can provide us with some feedback uh, wherever you get your podcast today with either a rating or a review uh, that goes a long way with us in terms of getting the word out there and when people go on to their Apple Podcasts or iTunes or Stitcher or whatever it may be and they see the amount of ratings it, it gives us a little bit more credibility uh, in the hockey podcast world so this thing has just been growing and growing and growing and growing and we have you to thank for that so and it gets us better guests too like when you guys are are telling people about us it, you know if you believe in what we do uh, uh, hopefully and if you're you know talking about us and sharing us on social media it's easier for us to bring on guests that have tons of value for you the listener so that's a main point why we need people to keep sharing and liking and commenting because then we can be hey look we're at how many did you tell me today 225,000 yep downloads total yep. so far yep. like it's freaking amazing i remember when we hit a thousand you and i were like oh my God, <laughs> this is crazy. we hit a thousand now we've had over two hundred twenty-five thousand downloads and the more we get the better guests we can bring on to help all you yeah yeah so thank you thank you thank you from the two of us we appreciate all your support you're gonna love this conversation with adm regional manager with usa hockey bob mancini so without further ado here we are with bob mancini We are so excited to have back on the Hockey Think Tank podcast, USA Hockey ADM Regional Manager. And second, you've been overtaken by Brian Kane of Prodigy Hockey, but second most downloaded episode that we have on the Hockey Think Tank, Bob Mancini. Bob, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Tulsa. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's exciting exciting for me to be back on. I I guess I got to get the rest of my family to start downloading some more of my my podcast. (laughs) I like that. I like that. Well, I'll tell you what. I have had literally no joke. Between five to ten people have either emailed or DM'd me on social media saying that we have to have you and Uncle Tim on the same podcast at some point in the future. So I think we might need to make that happen. That could be some fireworks. Yeah, that would be great. Kind of a knockdown, drag out, right? No holds barred (laughs) match. Uh, Can we can we um, put it on YouTube and record it in a wrestling ring? Even though there will be no blows thrown, just guys just in a wrestling ring just talking to each other about how they feel about the ADM. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. We can write sit and say, you have the big bell. Let's yeah. get ready to uh, talk. Yeah, I like it. Love it. I so love funny. it. So funny. Well, we're we're very excited to have you on the podcast and and uh, to get the word out from from somebody like yourself about some of the initiatives and and some of the thinking behind some of the decisions that are made uh, in the offices of USA Hockey. Um, but before we kind of get to some of that stuff, um, we have just announced some news, or I guess I have announced some news that I am actually taking over as the hockey director of a. AAA youth organization here in Syracuse. So I am really, really excited about it. There's a lot of work to be done. Um, so having somebody from USA Hockey to, to get on the podcast and give me some advice about some things to look for, maybe some things that you would structure uh, in terms of how you would go about building an organization, I think for me that would be incredible. So I guess the first question, just a broad question that I have for you, Bob, if there were maybe three things 
maybe three pieces of advice, three pieces of structure, things that you would do in taking over an organization, uh, what would they be? Wow, it's a, it's a great question. Um, and, and before I even answer it, I'd be remiss in saying, you know, USA Hockey runs a hockey director's course uh, out of what we call NARS, uh, National Association of Rink. Um, and this year it's in Buffalo, uh, this coming year in May. So I'm very, very serious when I say, Topher, if you would like to attend that cost, uh, we would love, or that course, we would love to have you uh, as our guest because it is an outstanding course for hockey directors. We've had hockey directors from all over the United States. Some have taken it three, four, five times. Wow. Um, just because of the things we go over. And uh, you and I can talk offline about it, but I highly recommend it. Uh, and we talk about these things, right? And, and the first thing really is, is the culture. Um, you know, the culture of, uh, of a club as opposed to separate hockey teams. I, I think in the United States, we have so many organizations, so many associations that run each team like it's their own separate franchise. The coach has complete control over what he's doing with that team. And as a result, uh, there's no real plan to the overall development of the player from year to year. It's, it's very structured, right? This is what this player is going to do this year because this is his coach and this is his team. And then two years or a year later, he goes to another coach, another team with different goals. So the, the, the first thing I would say is you have to create a culture of, I believe, and we believe, in long-term athlete development where it's not about just what a player is involved in that year with that team and that coach, but how does that fit in to his, uh, his hockey career at that association over the span of all the years? Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, that I, there. Yeah, I totally agree. I think uh, that's one of the biggest uh, issues in youth hockey is the fact that each organization is not really ran as an organization. It's a bunch of you know individual fiefdoms run by uh, a dad coach typically. Um, that's just kind of they. It's it's about their team and not necessarily about the overall organization. Is that is that what you're saying? Exactly what I'm yeah. saying. And, uh, you know, and, and there's so much that goes under that, right? You got to have a culture where everybody's in it for the kids, right? And I, and I would say the, that to me, maybe even before culture or part of culture, is every decision that we made, we should go back. I think we talked about this in the first podcast. Is this good for the kids? Is this good for their development? And if you do that, you're going to create that culture. Uh, uh, that that you want. Um, so that's that's the first thing, and, and the second thing for me is a path of development, um, and it's a little different than the culture. I, I look at the path of development uh, that every player has to have, or every parent, every family, they have to understand what the kids are going to learn, why they're going to learn these things, and how does this fit into my next year? So not just, hey, we're all for one, one for all, and we're all 
you know, I, I don't know. What's the name of the, the team? Are you allowed to say that? Uh, your, what's your mascot or your, your association? <laughs> well, it's the Syracuse Nationals, but uh, it's actually okay. going to be pretty cool because the name is going to change to the Hockey Think Tank, and it's going to be, uh, oh. you know, a Hockey Think Tank thing where we've been able to do the podcast on a very macro <laughs> level, uh, talk about development and talk about things that we believe in, and now I get to get my hands on from a micro level actually putting these things into effect. Um, so it's going to be all about what the think tank is, is, is about. And I'm so excited about it. And I think it's gonna be really cool. Well, so there you go, right? You guys already have this, you have a red line for, for lack of a better phrase that goes that, or your mind is going to go from the time a child gets to you to all his years through. And you know, he or she, Bob, really he or she, he or she, she. she. thank you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for the hockey player, uh, that there's a plan and that plan, uh, you know, it follows a progression and no matter where he or she is, on that plan, the parent and the player knows this is why we do these things, and we have your best interest in mind. And once we get through this, we are going to build on that, and we are going to make you better. And, you know, in, in that plan is the understanding that this is a long-term process, that we don't have to be the best player at nine years old, that we are going to build on those things. So I think culture, I think development, and then I think inclusive. It's just to be all inclusive, right? Boys, girls, anybody who wants that. There's a place for that player, and um, you know wherever you are, that there's a place for you in youth hockey. And this organization is not just about oh that small ten percent of players that's up there. But when we're building that organization. We want to find a home for every player so they have a chance to play. So, and I think maybe that falls back on the culture, but I'm not sure there is anything that doesn't fall on the culture. <laughs> very true, very true. And, I, and, and just going along with some of the things that you're saying, I think that being upfront and being transparent with everything that you do as a hockey director is extremely important so the people know what they're getting into. The coaches have expectations of the way that they're supposed to act and, and how they're supposed to coach. Um, there's transparency in, in everything that you do. Again, so you know, parents have information because a lot of times that's what parents are looking for. They just don't know because there's not, they're not getting any feedback. They're not getting information back from the coaches or the hockey director or anything like that. So what I want to try to do is be upfront with everything. This is how we're going to do things. Um, certainly get feedback on it and it's not my way or the highway and, and having a, a certain dialogue with everybody, uh, at first. Um, but then also just, you know, having expectations, having standards of the way that things are supposed to be done and making sure we're holding people to those standards all the time. Yeah, and I think if you do that, right, if, if you have that kind of communication, if you have a mission statement, right, if you have a plan, uh, then it's easier for everybody to see what this is. Yeah. And when, you know, there's no doubt what we see all over the United States is our best associations are the ones who have strong hockey directors. I mean, and and... I, I, throughout, no matter what district you are, no matter what part of the United States, what affiliate, uh, when we look at associations all over, the best associations are the ones with the strongest hockey directors. Very cool. Very cool. Jeff, how about you? What would you do if, uh, if I asked you the same question? 
great question. Um, the first one I would definitely say is set out organizational goals. And I think that that's two parts. One, um, deciding what's important for the organization, but one, one part would be like off ice, like life, which I feel is more important pretty probably than, than the actual on ice, just in terms of like coaching, teaching humans. What do you, how do you want the coaches to act? How do you want them treating the, the, the kids? How do you, what do you want them focusing on? Like something as simple as every coach is like teaching them about respect. And when you go into a rink, you respect the rink. When you're in the locker room, you have to respect the locker room. You pick everything up, like teaching those little values and things like that. I would want an organization. Almost like a code of conduct kind of thing. Yeah, pretty much. But like more like, like teaching them to be good people and always having that be a serious main focus for the organization, like things away from hockey that are going to make them better people, which obviously I do believe will translate to better hockey players. And then, um, for the hockey side, having creating some pillars. So maybe it's, I, I think that with these things as a direct, you can't get too um, intricate because then it gets hard to to do it over a big scale over 10 teams or however many teams an organization has. So keeping them a little bit smaller in number and very concise, uh, I wrote down things like, you know, maybe um, one of the pillars would be, you know, like we want to always be playing with our head up, even training little kids. Everyone's got to play with their head up all the time. We don't care if you lose pucks. We want to start with that as a young age and that'll translate to get better and better as the kids get older. Maybe that's one thing, but come up with four pillars for on ice and four pillars for off ice. Uh, the second thing I would do has nothing to do with hockey. It would be go out and get sponsors and, like, I, I don't understand why more teams aren't trying to go out and get big sponsorships. Like, I don't care what is on the jerseys. Like, you're, I played in Europe, obviously, so the advertisements on the jerseys don't bother me. I actually think they look cool. But if you can go out and get a big sponsor from a, a good company, now that eases the financial burden on some of the parents. Or maybe you get one ice time for free a week or a month or, or something. Or maybe now you can go out and pay coaches just a little bit more. Because, like, at least with our organization, like, our coaches make next to nothing. Like, I lose money coaching. And I don't do it for the money, but, like, I don't have a family. If I had a wife and kids, it would be very hard for me to work all day and then go to the rink and be there for three more hours, three times a week, and then two games a day on the weekends, and I'm losing money doing it. So I think if you can find a way to get a sponsor to pay for coaches, maybe that eases that burden a little bit, and you get better coaches, and everybody wants their kids to get better. Better coaches are going to give you, hopefully, a better result. Yeah. Well, Bob, let me ask you this, because uh, that's a huge issue, I know, around the country, but especially up here in New York, because um, obviously we want to keep costs down as much as possible. Uh, when it comes to hockey and specifically AAA hockey. I did a study on it and and the costs are just absolutely astronomical. Um, But another big part of you know, a huge problem that people tell me about it. Like it's honestly, it's the top two problems. One is costs and one is, is parent coaches. <laughs> so, but they, they kind of go hand in hand because you're going to have to pay some money to have somebody that's not a parent coach. So it, for me or anybody, that's a part, that's a hockey deck director, or maybe on the board of an organization, um, specifically at the AAA level as well. How would you go about navigating that process? And maybe what would you tell parents when it comes to, um, parent coaches versus paying a little bit to have non-parent coaches? I think it depends on the quality of coach. Uh, and I, I think this is one of those areas that I've seen people, you know, make blanket rules. Okay, well, 
you know, we're going to have all non-parent coaches. And then all of a sudden, some guy who coached his whole life shows up with his kid uh, at your association, right? Do you really turn away that expertise? So I think it's a very, very individual uh, a decision and not individual, in my opinion, based on association, association, but who is it that you're dealing with? What does he want to do? Uh, how much can he be involved? Um, you know, and, and can he handle being a parent coach? Because even if, if you're a great hockey guy, some guys can be great hockey guys and not be able to handle being a parent coach. And sometimes as we know, it's more unfair for the child of that parent coach uh, than even some of the other players. So right. I think it's a, I, I think it's a very, very individual thing. But where I do come down strongly on this is quality coaching. I think, and I think, Jeff, you bring it up. It's right on. We look at all these other things we spend money on, and then we find ways not to spend money on coaching. And at the end of the day, Coaching is really important when we look at the development of the player. So, um, yeah, I, I just think each case has to be looked at individually. Yeah, and this is this is really hard for me because this is actually something that I'm going through right now. Like, I, I think one way, and, and you know, we already talked about, it, is like if you want to if you want to focus on development, you say, all right, I'm a hockey director big focus on development. Well, I think one of those things, like you just said, is having good coaches. I also think playing less games will do both. It'll help with development. It will also save money by playing less games, uh, by going out of town less, mainly like those long trips. And, you know, maybe you're spending 500 to a thousand dollars on a trip. If you cut out five of those trips and now you, maybe you give half that money that the parents save to a coach and the other half goes back in their pocket, you get a better coach. You don't have to go out of town as much. Kids get to be kids. They practice a little more, which I think will help them actually develop more. 45 games is enough games for a triple a kid at 16 years old to be playing. They don't need to put their body through 60 games. They're going to high school school they're traveling all the time like i just think that those two can go hand in hand and can also get the coaches a little bit more money which hopefully then gets more invested coaches and better coaches love that in my opinion in yeah. my opinion the third thing i wrote down for you know three things um and tof you always talk about this and i'll pump your tires here is valuing and both valuing and offering education and that i mean to the entire organization both the coaches the players the parents, the strength coach, like everyone in an organization, like try and bring in, try and find strategic partnerships. And I'm always trying to do this with my company because I just want to help my guys get things for cheaper. Like if you're the director of an organization, let's just say it's a small one and you got a hundred players or 200 players, like go to a nutritionist in town that everyone believes in and, and works with high level athletes and say, Hey, Joni, um, Joni, the nutritionist, you've, I've got 200 players and parents in my organization. If you come out one night and give a speech to them for free, you might get 10 to 15 clients out of that. And now you're making a ton of money. You're also serving the greater good by helping a bunch of kids. You can do that with a nutritionist. You can do that with a strength coach. You can do that with, you know, a teacher to come in and talk to the coaches and teach them about teaching. Because like Bob said, you could have the best coach in the world, but he's also got to be able to disseminate the information. Look at Wayne Gretzky coaching, you know, when we were kids, didn't work out with him. He knows more than anyone in hockey sees the game. Great. But maybe he can't disseminate that information because he doesn't know how to teach. So like go out and find ways to offer your parents, players and coaches more education. And if you do it smart, you can do it for free. (laughs) 
Yeah, you know? not I just off ice education, but on ice education as well. I yeah. mean, you can really, you can really uh, uh, leverage the power of an association when you start doing things like consolidating goaltending coaching, consolidating some kind of skills, right? Whether it's a skating coach or a, a, a puck handling coach, and having people that are going to work through the organization and saying, "Okay, look, we're going to need you this many times." but this is what we're going to pay you, but you're going to get all this work. Or you can go someplace once a month. Yeah, you're going to make twice as much per hour, but you know what we're going to provide for you and our kids is this value, and you're going to get disciples out there. So I agree, Jeff, and I don't think that it stops with some of the off-ice stuff. I think we can leverage that with uh, our on-ice education or our on-ice skills as well. I love that. And something just hearing you say that like popped in my head, like, you know, I really love trying to think outside the box and, and leverage relationships and leverage, like don't leverage how many players you have in your organization. Just a simple thing that you could do, like talking about this, bring in the best defensive coach in the country, whoever it is. I don't know. Like say it's Nick Lidstrom. I don't know, whatever. Um, and, and obviously he's going to charge more than, you know, somebody that isn't Nick Lidstrom. So we'll, we'll just say, Nick Lidstrom. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> bring him in and be like, all right, on Monday night in January, we're bringing in this defensive specialist, the top three teams in our AAA organization, six, uh, 15, 16s and 18s. It's only going to be D on the ice and you're going to work with this guy. Well, now you got three separate teams, all their defensemen working with the guy. So he's working with a bunch of players. He makes more money, but you're leveraging how many players you have to make it cheaper cost per player. Like just little things like that. Like think outside the box. We have some associations that are model associations. And one of the, uh, uh, the models we use are these skills teams. So, you know, they hire one or two skating coaches, one or two puck handling coaches, one or two goalie coaches, but, Every single team in that organization, I'm going to visit one tonight in Kalamazoo, every team in that organization from their house teams all the way up, and they only they don't have AAA, but they have AA, at every age level, they get a time on the ice every week for the entire season with those coaches. So it's not just about AAA or AA, it's everybody, because we want to make, and I don't know what, your, what the uh, think tank hockey is, is going to have in terms of how much across the board. But um, sometimes when our directors consolidate the skill work, it's better for everybody because you have good hockey coaches who, you know, I mean, at, at my age right, right now, I'm too old, too fat, too balding to get on the ice and teach power skating. But there was a time, right? There was a time. But, but I think I can coach a team. Right. So I'm going to need somebody. And you have coaches like that. You have coaches who can bring something to the table and we don't want to lose their expertise just because we're adding something else. We've got to find a way. And that's where those strong hockey directors really come in handy. I love I love everything that both you guys are saying and, and going along with your point, Bob. Uh, let's. I'm going to coach the 18U team for our for our organization, 
And one thing that I want is so we'll practice three times a week and one time a week, I'm not even going to be on the ice because I really believe that kids can learn from somebody else. Like if they're always hearing the same voice over and over and over, having somebody else to come out and teach them things that I can't teach them or that I just don't think about, um, I think is very, very valuable for, for their development. So I, I'm, I'm on the same page as you and, and Jeff, going back to your pillars, it's, it's interesting that you talked about it because I actually threw a tweet out um, like last week or two weeks ago, I was doing a little brainstorm and I actually came up with five pillars of what I wanted for the organization. And it was program building, so things like mentorship programs and stuff like that. There was on-ice development, off-ice development, parent education, and coach education. I think you have to have to be a successful organization, really, really successful and do right by the kids. You have to put a lot of thought into all five of those pillars. So I wanted to say thank you to everybody because there was a ton of people that either emailed me or DM'd me or whatever about ideas of what they would do, certain things that they do within their organization and stuff. And uh, there's a lot of like a lot of really creative a lot of really good hockey people going um, out there and so I encourage everybody with this social media revolution that we have don't be afraid to put your ideas out there because there are people that can benefit from them and I certainly did when I threw the question out to everybody so appreciate everybody from doing that and um, with that Bob I wanted to ask you it kind of goes along with this but how how does USA Hockey go about getting information from the grassroots levels and from your constituents all across the country so you guys can better serve uh, your constituents and all of those people? Well, you know, that's a, it's a big topic because every district or every affiliate has representatives to USA Hockey that volunteer in their local affiliate. So it's happening in a lot of ways, right? It's happening, for example, through the ADM managers who are very involved in local grassroots attending meetings. Like this afternoon, uh, I chair a Tier 1 committee meeting uh, for Michigan, right? So that's a way for me to be in the room with the hockey directors and find out what are some of the things they're thinking? What is working around the United States? And the ADM managers, my colleagues, are doing that all over the United States, uh, and not just with Tier tier 1. Um, uh, in two weeks after the USA Hockey Midwinter meetings, I'll be attending the uh, Michigan Amateur Hockey Winter meetings. I'll be sitting in on all kinds of committees, uh, you know, from rules, playing rules to state playoffs, um, to the coaches' committee. Uh, and, and, and that'll, that'll be happening. And then there's also our, the local association, uh, you know, uh, doing little coaching clinics with them. And it's more than just going in and telling people, but it's having these dialogues and these conversations. Well, that's just on the, on the, the full-time side. Then you have our volunteers. And as we know, our USA hockey volunteers throughout the United States, they work extremely hard. It's, it's almost a disservice to call them volunteers, how much time they put in. But they often are bringing to the larger committees, the youth council, uh, uh, the junior council. Uh, they're officiating uh, a committee at USA Hockey. These things that not only they're seeing, that they're hearing, that are being tried at the local affiliates, and then they're being discussed from the affiliate to the district and the district to USA Hockey. So um, I think we can improve in that matter. I think we're constantly trying to not just gain that information, but find better ways to disseminate some of the stuff that we're trying to do out. And, you know, it's funny you asked that question because uh, the first time I was on, I can't tell you 
just how much feedback I got from that, from people hearing me. And it's, it's, it's nice because people do want that information. And, and you talk about, you know, the age we're in now, we're still learning just like a lot of companies. We're still learning. And, um, this last thing we did, this declaration of player safety, when we talked about safety, body contact and body checking, that was probably the most comprehensive PR plan we had to introduce a concept to our constituents. And we still fell short or are falling short in getting the word out. And I'm not at all saying that, oh, man, we're doing a lousy job. What I'm saying is, is things are happening so fast, and this is such a big ship for us to, to guide. Um, it's just a never-ending process. Yeah, yeah, totally. So you guys rely a lot on volunteers. So if there's anybody that's listening that has an opinion, um, don't just have an opinion on social media <laughs> or, or, or with, uh, you know, with your buddies or whatever at the rink and stuff. If you have an opinion, there are volunteer positions. I would volunteer for USA Hockey and your voice. Would, would it be fair to say that if you have an opinion, somebody will listen to you within USA Hockey, like your voice would be heard? And if, if so, how would they go about doing that? Is it to find a, uh, how can people, how can people volunteer? I guess I, I would ask that question. So every one of our affiliates in the United States have a website. Every one of our districts have websites, the offices, a contact button, you know, a, a icon is on those websites where they can write to, you know, if it's an officiating question, if it's an idea about this. And, you know, this is such a good topic because you can imagine what I, oh, you guys at USA Hockey, oh, Maha, oh, <laughs> New York Amateur, right? Whatever it is, oh, Mo Hockey, those guys. And I always stop people for a couple of reasons. And the first is there's a real disconnect that what people understand is what is actually under the USA hockey umbrella and what is under our affiliates and districts. So that's the first thing, right? There are certain things that we don't, we can't uh, uh, do. And there are certain things our affiliates and districts, they take care of. So that's the second thing though. And this is even more important is I am not USA Hockey. We're not USA Hockey. We all are. And the same thing for our districts. When I hear people say, oh, well, we should do this. And I say, well, why don't you put it in? The rule should be like this. Like a little known thing, anyone who's a member of USA Hockey can write a rule proposal and send it in. Anyone who's a member of New York Amateur can write a rule proposal and send it in. And it'll go to committee. It'll be discussed. And They'll come out with a position on it, and it will or it won't go to vote, depending on each of the affiliates, the way the political process works. But I think that is the missing connector there, that if people, as you say, want to volunteer, they have ideas, they want to make hockey better, we want to hear those voices, and there are avenues. But it's not enough for you to sit in the bar at the local rink and complain, right? you got to let somebody know. So I, I, I think that's awesome information, but I do want to push back a little bit because I tried to do that once last year and got crucified for it. So I took an issue that I had to some people in my state and I legitimately, when I say this, I'm not overreacting. I have never been treated so poorly in my life by these people under the jurisdiction of USA Hockey. And so my question to that is, I think it's great, but there is a faction out there, and I think it's warranted based upon the experience that I had, that people say, well, when we talk, 
they don't listen. So I ha- I'm giving you the platform here right now. Like if, you th- if you're saying that you guys listen, and I think you do. I, I don't think there's any question, but is there a policing process? Because like, I had a terrible experience in trying to speak my mind. Not, not all the time, but one time because we've had great conversations. I've had great conversations with other guys in the ADM, and, and there's so many great people in USA Hockey. But one experience I had was just absolutely – it was brutal. So like – I'm giving you a platform right here to kind of say for people like me that have had a tough experience in trying to give their, their input to people in USA hockey, but have kind of gotten the door shut on them. What would you say to them? And, and I have heard that. And, you know, who am I to say that, you know, every full-time employee of any company, every, any volunteer of any organization is going to give you the answer, at least act the way you would like them to act. I mean, those things are going to happen, but Depending on the issue and, and, you know, depending what it is you're bringing forward, there are always multiple avenues. You know, there's the affiliate avenue and the affiliate to the district and their district to USA Hockey. And even, even if it's something that there ends up being some sort of ruling or sanctioning on or something like that, there's always an appeal process uh, that is outlined um, in those guidebooks that each affiliate has. So, you know, now do you have to do a little digging to find that? You got to go on the way. Yeah, you do. Do you might have to attend the meeting? Absolutely. And, you know, I, I apologize on behalf of whatever your experience it was. I don't know exactly what it was, but you know, all I can say is like in every business, those things happen. It wouldn't surprise me, but I do not think, and I believe this with all my heart, I do not believe that's the norm. And I do believe when we're talking about the volunteers throughout the United States who make up these different affiliates and districts in USA Hockey, that they're people who want to do the right thing. Yeah, yeah. No, I I agree. That's certainly a minority and not a majority. Um, But it's something that I I experience and something that people, I get to talk to a lot of people that they get frustrated on. But I will say another thing that relates to the topic. So I was pissed after it happened. (laughs) And and I, uh, like months later or whatever, I actually showed up to the USA hockey meeting in in our state here. And uh, it was where it's basically the meeting where everybody can go and they discuss the rules. And I'm sure you've been to a million of them and stuff like that. The rules get Okay, so just, just hang on one, 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 hang on one second, Topher, just because this is where people get in trouble. Okay, I don't think you were at a USA hockey meeting. It was you were at a New maybe York New York State, State meeting. Hockey. Okay, sure. Right. Okay, exactly right. And and the reason I say that is is not not to lessen your experience or to heighten anything. Is just to say that there are these different avenues, right? And I often get that. Oh, we were at this USA meeting. Well, no, wait a second. You you weren't there yet. You had a district meet, right? So you were probably at a New York State meeting. Yes, that would have been a New York State fair, meeting. Fair enough? Yes, okay. yeah, 100%. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, I okay. went to the meeting where they discussed the rules and all that kind of stuff because our organization proposed a rule based upon the problem that we had earlier in the year. And I was shocked to see how few people were there. I was shocked to see how few constituents from around our state actually showed up to hear um, the rules and the regulations and all the stuff that was going on. Like it was a huge meeting for all of New York state and there might've been 40 or 50 people there and that was it. And so I would encourage everybody, like if you want to have a voice, if you want to have a say, if you want to see some change, 
you can't just you can't just argue about it and complain about it. You actually have an avenue to to be able to have your voice heard. And so, like with Bob, what you're saying right now, and and my experience in going to that meeting and seeing so few people, I think I would encourage anybody like don't just complain. If you have something you want to change, then you can. Would would that be a fair assessment? Absolutely. And volunteerism is down. It's down in every walk of life all over the U.S. And we need good volunteers in hockey, and we need people uh, to make a difference. And, you know, I should clarify, when I was talking earlier, New York State Amateur Hockey Association is absolutely part of USA Hockey, but there is a reporting line and certain boundaries. That's the only reason why I made that. I wanted to make that distinction. But going back to your point, it's so important. We need our, our organization, USA Hockey, and our affiliates and districts. We're basically a volunteer organization. And, you know, you look at some, we need more young people in, right? I yeah. mean, I, I, there are a lot of people that have been doing this for a long time. And, um, you know, and sometimes you get beaten down, right? As you can imagine when you're a volunteer. And we need, we have some incredible incredible volunteers all throughout the United States. But I don't think I'd be off base in saying we need more. We always need more. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Jeff, you got any thoughts on the subject? It's just hard because I, I volunteered working and helping with the kids with AAA from when I left for juniors at 17 all the way until I retired playing at 32 and I was, I wasn't paid to like come back and help with practices whenever I could. Um, I would coach in the spring league or the sum, the summer league, I guess it was like, it was like one or two skates a week. Um, they pay me a little bit to come out there, but like, it's hard because now like, I'm, I mean, I'm not young, I'm 34, but in terms of like working a new job, I'm in a new career. So it's young for me. Uh, I got to establish myself. I've got to make money. You know, I got to do these things. So like, I want to volunteer, but I can't. So like, it, it comes back to like the money thing. If there's a way to get people even a little bit of money to help them out, even if it's paying for gas or this or that. And, um, you know, anyone who is older and has established job, like, yes, we need more volunteers like that for younger guys who just stopped playing, who, you know, aren't financially secure. I think that there's just gotta be some kind of way to, to find some kind of money to help them to get good people around the kids. And that's most important. Everybody wants results. Everybody wants their kids to get better, but you got to surround them with good people. And it's hard to do that with the volunteers. Who's maybe like the dad or the uncle or, you know, whoever just that's in my opinion. That's what I see. <laughs> okay. Good stuff. Yeah. All right. Uh, Bob, I want to, I want to change gears here a little bit because, um, you know, Ryan Hardy is a friend of the podcast, friend <laughs> of both of ours, and I'm sure he made some waves with a tweet, uh, that he sent. And, and, uh, you know, I know, you know, Ryan, and I'm sure you, you know him well and have respect for him. And, you know, he tweeted something about, like it was, it, I don't think it was about the World Juniors, but it was right after World Juniors. I think it was a little bit more of a macro thing that he was tweeting about. Um, but is that something that was discussed in USA Hockey in terms of an overall vision of how uh, at the highest levels Americans should be playing and, and roster selection and, and things like that? Is that something that you guys discussed after that tweet? Because it certainly created a lot of waves from where I was seeing it. Well, I, I, I wasn't in those discussions. Um, 
if if we did because of that tweet or right after that tweet. But I think that like any good business in USA Hockey, to an extent, right, is running a business or in the business of youth hockey, but also in the business of national teams, are constantly looking at how do we choose players? How do we develop players, right? How do we choose our coaches? And I, you know, I can tell you that this is a never ending process and it changes, right? It changes because the game changes. It has to be, it has to be fluid, but also at the end of the day, there always has to be someone who has to say, all right, this is the direction we're going, you know? And, you know, when we talk about sport, right, there are so many opinions that are based on results. And sometimes results aren't the best way to have those conversations. And I do. I have a lot of respect for Ryan. I like Ryan a lot. And I, I certainly saw his tweet. And there were a lot, lot in his tweet I agreed with and a lot that I didn't agree with. But one of the things I think it's really important uh, when we talk about sport is that we don't, we don't go and have knee-jerk reactions based on results, because that tournament is a very difficult tournament. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have those conversations because we should be having the same conversations after winning a gold medal as we do when we finish in seventh place, right? I think any good business has to have those conversations, and we should be, and I know we are, but every business should be constantly evaluating what is the process of what we do. And is it the right process? And just because it was good last year, is it still good this year? It was good 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Is that the same way? So um, I think it's too easy to just look at one event and one result and say, oh, we have to do this. Um, because that's just sport, right? That happens. The, you know, I remember years and years ago, uh, the Slovaks, you know, came up and bit us in the butt in some tournament. And Lou Vero's comment, I'll never forget it, he, he went and he addressed the volunteers who were freaking out. He said, hey, you know, they have sticks and pucks and skates too over there. And his point was, hey, they're developing good players too. Now, that's not an excuse for losing. It's certainly not a reason why we should win all the time. I'm just saying that I don't want us to look at this. And this is Bob Mancini now. This is not a USA hockey coming down from the top. I don't think we should ever look at a single result as a catalyst for change. Uh, I don't think, I mean, that'd be sort of like coaching the results for your team. Oh, we lost, we lost this Saturday. So now we have to have a, we have to change what we're doing. No, I think there's a bigger plan. And uh, I'm not saying that we have a perfect plan. I'm just saying, like any good business, we're constantly looking at, are we doing the right things? What do we have to change? What are the right decisions made? And how are we going to make those decisions going forward? And I think that's fair. Yeah. So if, like, you know, if we were to have a summit like Ryan <laughs> Ryan suggested in his tweet, um, you talk summit, about changes. Summit, and- summits don't matter. Summits don't matter. Summits don't matter. Action matters. Action matters. Well, no, Every time I, Canada loses a big event, they have a freaking summer summit, and 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 nine out of ten summits, nothing comes out of it, right? And and, and I guess this is my point because I hear that word, oh, it's time for a summit. Eh, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's semantics. A summit 
is, is not what's going to change what people might think is right or wrong. The action, the input, asking the right questions, that's going to be it. But, you know, as I said, a lot of respect for Ryan, a lot of respect for a lot of things he said. But the idea of calling a summit, to me, smacks of um, panic, right? I, I, yeah, I'm not but sure that's where we want to be. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that because, I mean, you can call it whatever you want. I think when a bunch of smart people get into a room and try to figure out and solve problems, I think that's a good thing. And I think that action comes from those kinds of hard sometimes discussions where people agree and people disagree and come to a consensus on a way to go. And um, so I don't, I mean, I don't know if he was even being serious and say, hey, we need to do a summit. But what are some of those conversations like at the top levels of USA Hockey where you do have some of those discussions <laughs> when changes need to be made? And, and that's why, Tofa, I made the comment about maybe it's just semantics, right? Yeah. Because I think those conversations have to be had. Um, and, you know, the summit thing hit me the wrong way just because of what Canada's uh, <laughs> reaction <laughs> to some things that the summit was, right? But, but I, I agree Triggered. 100% with, with – yeah, it, it was. And, but I agree 100% that the questions Ryan wants, do, are we getting in the room and doing that? Now, this is the answer you guys aren't going to like. Um, all I can tell you is I believe those discussions are being had all the time at USA Hockey. I am right now in the position I'm in not involved in those. Okay. At one time I was, right? When I was with the national team program, when I was in that sphere, even when I was working outside of USA Hockey in the National Hockey League, I was involved in some of that. Uh, with what I'm doing now, focusing on the youth hockey and everything, they're not coming to me for those with those questions, which is fair. That's, please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they should or they shouldn't. I'm just saying I don't have the answer for you on that. Sure. Okay. Um, so kind of building along with that, um, you know, whenever, uh, one of those teams wins, obviously Canada has their thing going on, but whenever there's an international competition, um, a lot of talk is had, and I've gotten a lot of questions. I've even had people say, Hey, you need to have somebody on your podcast from a Sweden or a Finland or a Russia or something like that to talk about their developmental model. I know that's, that that is something that you guys do quite a bit in reaching out to different nations and trying to figure out what they're doing and stuff stuff like that. You know, I think my uncle Tim, he was, uh, I don't know about the information that he had <laughs> when he was talking about on our podcast. Um, but what would you say, like, if you had to break it down to maybe one thing from the other countries and maybe we'll keep it to the top five, maybe one thing that Canada does really well, one thing that Russia does really well, Sweden, Finland. Um, and then I would even throw us in there, the United States. What do you think if there's one thing from those countries that they do extremely well that allows them to succeed, what would it be? Uh, I think Finland does a better job, or Finland and Canada do as good a job, if not better, than any country in the world of preparing for those tournaments as a team to win one tournament. Uh, you know, when you play, when you put on that jersey in those two countries, you will do anything that's asked of you to win. Um, so if I were to, if I were to go country by country, I think 
that's that's huge for those two countries. Well, let me now, let me ask you this. Sorry, sorry to cut you off, but I feel like it's a relevant thing because I I feel like that's a little bit of what Ryan's thought was about is that we don't do a good enough job in the U.S. of, of actually doing that and having one way uh, for USA Hockey to kind of do exactly what you're saying. Uh, that was the way that I kind of interpreted what he was saying. So in light of that, what do you think we can be doing a better job of as USA Hockey to make sure that our players are ready for those kinds of tournaments? Well, I think it's more difficult for us because of the system that we have. First of all, we have a huge country, right? So it's very different in every part of the country. But I also think the importance of different things happen, right? So I think it's hard for us to get together because there's so much competition for players and there's so much, um, uh, I don't know, onus putting on, oh, well, the college player versus the major junior play. We hear it with the Canadian teams. We hear it with the USA, U.S. teams. Oh, should a kid go to the USHL or should he go here? Oh, he's being developed here. You know, I, I think if that's what Ryan's saying, to come together for that tournament, I think that's a key thing. But I just right now think that's a very difficult thing for us because our culture is so competitive. We have this thing where instead of us coming together for the good of, let's say, USA Hockey and these teams, we're all on our own island that's directed or on our own ship that's directed to what is good for us. And a lot of times what's good for just us isn't really good for the whole, the whole picture. On the other hand, I'm not saying that's the way they they should or shouldn't be. You know, um, we want to win in the United States at every level. So you have competition for players starting at nine years old. And those seeds of competition go all the way through. And I think, and Ryan was in a position with the national team. When you work for the national team, there are a lot of people who do not get behind what you're doing because they feel they have a better way. And that's difficult to overcome. Um, and I, you know, I think that answer is very, very in depth, but I don't think it's exactly the question you asked me. The question you asked me is what does each country do really well? Right. Yeah. And those Finnish kids and those Canadian kids, they live and die to put on that jersey. And please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying our American kids don't. I'm just saying, you ask me, what does each country do better than anybody else? And I think you can make an argument that the Finnish kids and the Canadian kids put everything aside for that one tournament. Sure. Okay. And I, would agree. I would agree to that. Like it is, I do just from being around Canadians, obviously small sample size, higher level players, pro guys, stuff like that. I feel like they do care a lot more about world juniors as a whole than we do. No doubt about it. You think so? Well, oh, as, a, as a country, as a culture, absolutely. Yeah, totally. Like every, every team I played on when it's world junior time, all the Canadians are at one place. Where are we at? And maybe a third of the Americans care. And it's usually the third that was on the team 
or played for the NTDP and was close to making the team. Like, at least that's what it's been in in my uh, my experience. Okay. Okay. And then how about uh, we talked about Finland and Canada and and similar answers to that. How about Russia and, and Sweden as well? Uh, well, Sweden, I think right now are probably doing as good, if not a better job of development than any other, any other country uh, on the planet. Um, you know, you just, they are so focused on the individual player and what's good for the individual player and how do we make players better. So if I were to look at Sweden, I would say they have dialed in player development between ages 16 and 19, right? You see Swedish kids, and part of this is culture, right? Part of this is genetics, but you see Swedish kids at younger ages getting beat consistently by other countries. And then all of a sudden at 19 and 20, they're big-time legit players, right? And so I think the Swedish Ice Hockey Federation has done a really good job of dialing in how do we develop players uh, of that age group. Um, so I would say that's, that's probably their strength. Um, interesting enough about the Russians, I, I probably don't have a good enough handle, but they are obviously still finding or developing highly skilled, highly skilled players. Um, we, we could see that. Um, you know, and then some of the other countries, and certainly not lesser countries, you can call it, kind of see what they've done. And, you know, the Swiss were moving forward for a while, and now they've taken a little bit of a step back in terms of the number of players they're developing and, and at which rate. Uh, the Slovaks always do a good job with such a small number. Um, but, you know, a lot of those countries, the focus on player development is just greater than uh, what we have here in the United States because our culture and our environment focuses on winning. Um, so it's, it's a different way to look at player development. And there's, there's a lot of development that happens with winning, by the way. Um, but it's just different than most of those countries because when you look at their numbers, if they focused on just a small group of players and everything was about winning, they probably couldn't compete on the world stage like they do. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and going back to Sweden, having a son over there that's playing, you know, you get, I'm sure you've been over there at least once or twice a year to, to kind of see what's going on. Um, like on a specific kind of tangible standpoint, wh- what are some of the things that they do that you would like to see done over here? Well, I, I think first of all, Um, You know, we talk in a lot of generalizations, and we've talked on this podcast in a lot of generalizations, right? So they have good and bad clubs in every one of those countries we talked about, just like we have good and bad clubs, right? They have some great hockey people and some average hockey people, just like we do. Um, And I think that's important to, to recognize. You know, I've been over to Sweden, and I've seen a couple of clubs that top to bottom, their development, their culture, their direction is second to none. And then I've seen a couple of others that, you know, with none of that. So I, I think it's important for us to, to recognize uh, that as well, right? There's good and bad in, in all these hockey playing countries uh, everywhere. Um, but in the really good ones, 
they put the player first. They have a development plan, not just for the organization, as we talked about, but for every individual player. They accept the fact that not every player is going to be where either they may want them to be or where players around them might be at that time. And they, they're okay with that, you know, because they realize that kids develop at different rates and at different times. And when you look at their registration numbers, right, Sweden, 42,000, Finland, 39,000, um, they can't afford to, A, make decisions on players too soon, and B, throw away players by saying, oh, he's not good enough at 13. So yeah. I think those are some things, right? They, they, they truly keep players in a high-performance development track or start them at a time and then keep them there for much longer than we might do it. Uh, and certainly much longer than Canada does it, right? Because Canada has 442,000 or thereabout. And, you know, they can afford to have this very, very steep pyramid because they have so many, they have so many numbers. Um, so I think that focus on the player is probably the number one thing. I think the patience with the development is number two. And then, um, I think the third is the importance of practice. Jeff said something early on about the number of games for players, and there's a bit of a misperception with some of these European countries and clubs that games aren't important. And Jeff didn't say this, but I, and I wanted to jump in earlier, but it was really interesting. You know, Jeff talked about 45 games, but those 45 games need to be the best 45 games you could schedule and play. They need to be meaningful. They need to be within two or three goals, right? Or two goals, one or two goals even would be better. And, but what the Swedes and Finns do that's really interesting is those games are really, really important. I wouldn't even say they're less important than games are in the United States. Their games have just as much importance to the development of the kids, to the associations, to the, uh, uh, to the coaches. But what they do over there that we, I think, lose focus or lose sight of is games or the importance of games don't come as a result of lessening the importance of practice. And if you look at what Ryan Hardy has done, we're going to bring up Ryan Hardy now, right? If you look at what he's done in <laughs> Chicago, what Mark Moore has done in there, they figured that out and they brought it, they brought it here and they brought it to the USHL. Yeah. You know, we went there for a few days and watched what they were doing. There was as much importance on practice as there were in games. And to me, that is the key, key ingredient that we're missing throughout the United States, not to make games less important or not to be less competitive, but to raise the importance of quality practice. That's the key. I mean, that's everything that I just think I believe in anyways, though, too. And it all started me having this kind of mind shift 
was when I started to see guys from St. Louis, a bunch of them started making the NTDP and they would leave boys and they would legitimately come back grown men. And it was within two year time period. And obviously I look at a lot of things from like a strength and conditioning perspective, but like going from that and using that as just like a small um, thing to look at is they were leaving skinny, weak, you know, kids who just happen to be good at hockey. And they came back like well-rounded, absolutely jacked in a hockey specific manner, like eating right, caring, like all these things. And it's because they put a serious emphasis on development. Like if you work out that much, some of your games might suffer, but you are developing more over that period of time when games really don't matter that much. Obviously they cut back to workouts. I'm sure during weeks where they have serious games and they're going into international competitions. And then I was like, well, if they do that all the time with like workouts, can't we do that with workouts, with practices, with our games, make them more intention filled. So if you lessen the amount of games and you place more emphasis on, on really like going hard and going correctly and doing things right, like more is not better. Better is better. You know? So, right. I mean, and that's, that's what just Kenny Martell uses that phrase of meaningful games. That's what you're talking about. Yeah. Meaningful games. Not just a lot of games. Yeah. You know, and, and it's interesting that you, you talk about the NTTP because that's exactly what they did. And they do have periodization, right? But the periodization is not about every weekend. It's not about taking Thursday lightly because yeah. you got two college games this weekend or you got two USHL games this weekend. No, it's about training the way you should train regardless of the games. And let's face it, Jeff, because you bring up a really, like we're talking the same language here. All of us are, but what's interesting about this is, are you serious? We're going to not train hard on a Thursday because my kid's going to play 12 minutes on a Friday or 20 (laughs) minutes on Friday. You're telling me he can't train because he's got, you know, he's going to be on the ice once every three shifts. Yes. That's what we got to explain to our parents. Yes. But I'll tell you what, like, Go to any rink right now in the United States, any one, 90% of the rinks, and you got coaches and associations and kids, and especially parents. Oh, let's not tire the kids out. We got a big tournament this weekend. <laughs> and then we go to a tournament, and you know what the, one of the biggest problems are? See, now you got me going, right? <laughs> now one of the biggest problems are is our entrepreneurs are putting together tournaments where kids are playing four and five games on a weekend. How meaningful is that? We have 18 U teams that play two games in a day at 18U. And yep. then we have scouts that are wondering, why is that kid not working as hard as he can? Or we they go to junior and they got to learn what it's like to play a 20-minute game at top speed at high tempo, right? Well, he doesn't know because he's been having to play five games on a weekend, right? Love so we, we focus on the wrong things, and this is one of the biggest things. Yes, games are important. Yes. World championships, periodization for, for championships, for playoffs, that's important. But I'm sorry, if you're in a development role, I don't give a crap who you're playing this Friday. Come out on Thursday and practice like you mean it. Yep. Amen. Love it. Amen. Love it. Absolutely. Love it. And, and to go with that, like, sorry, Toph, like that better is better. 
say the boys have been working super hard all week. You can still work them hard Friday, but in a smart way. Maybe you take longer rest periods throughout that Friday practice where you're going hard. Maybe you're working on skills that train a different energy system, but you're still going hard and smart and getting better. Again, better is better, not just more is better. Like you got to think and, and, you know, yeah, I totally agree, Bob. I love that. Love you getting triggered too. That's fantastic. Um, well, Bob, this has been this has been really good. But I know Jeff had some. Uh, I think he wanted to do a little rapid fire round with you with some some Twitter and Instagram questions. What do you say? Yeah, Bob. I, I like. Oh, yeah, we, I... There we go. Like we talked about, you might have seen some of them. How about we just do? I'll ask the question. You just try and keep the answer as short as you can. We'll bang out these couple questions I had from Twitter because I love the listeners getting involved. So the first one is actually yeah, because, from because Jeff. Ahead. Hang on. Hang on. Because you know my forte giving you quick answers. Yeah, that's what I'm good at. Okay, go ahead. It's all right, Bob. I'm a talker too. I get it. Uh, first one's from John Lounsbury, uh, one of the guys who works with Gel Six, been on the podcast. Uh, what are Bob's thoughts on verbal abuse of officials at the youth level to a zero tolerance policy? Bringing it to that, could it be a game ejection? He's constantly seeing forty plus year old men yelling at eighteen year olds over meaningless calls. How can we change that culture? Well, how we can change the culture or whether or not I think we should change is two different things. Absolutely, it should be zero tolerance. There's no place for it in youth sport. There's no place for it in our ranks. And I absolutely think we need to get there. I don't know what the penalty should be. I don't know how it's going to be enforced. But there is no reason whatsoever for abuse of officials at any level in youth hockey. I would agree. Needs to go to zero tolerance. And yeah. I was one of those people who yep. would have got penalties when I was younger for a couple times, but I would have learned a lesson. Moving on, rapid fire. Mike Mitchell, will checking be removed from Tier 2 14U soon? It has long been rumored. Mike Mitchell, Kirkwood, Youthwood, Youth Hockey, Missouri. Well, it's, it, it's been rumored because those discussions have happened and they'll continue to happen. Um, but once again, a rule like that may be good in one area of the country or for one association may not be good in other areas because the way the registration process is and the way those, you have a lot of districts and affiliates in the U S who depend on those 14 U tier two players to play high school hockey. And those people are very much against taking checking out of, of tier two. Um, my personal opinion is I don't think there should be any checking in any house league, any rec league, any tier three. Let's start there for sure. And then we can continue to have the discussion at tier two. But it makes no sense to me that a 13-year-old goes into rec or tier three hockey, whatever you call it in your area, and he's allowed to check for five years, and then he becomes 18 years old and all he can play is no check men's league. That makes no sense. We're pushing those kids away from a great game. I 100% agree to that. There's no doubt in my mind I agree to that. Like, I love that. Uh, Mike also asked a question about World Junior Championships. We already covered that. Um, This one is from Derek. Ooh, that's a tough name. Don't want to say it. Pushes? Pushes? I don't know. Sorry, Derek. Good guy. Good guy. Derek P. We'll call him Derek P. DP. Uh, Why did they make U16 AAA in Michigan why did they make U16 AAA in Michigan 16 only? I would like to know more about the rationale behind the rule change, what prompted it, if this idea is extended to all of USA Hockey in the future. 
I don't know if it'll be extended to all of USA Hockey. Um, it's a pilot program in Michigan to see how it will affect uh, the competitiveness of the teams, if it'll keep more kids in the game, if we give entry level to kids. Because what we saw in Michigan is the coaches being competitive, and they should be competitive, looking at recruiting 15-year-olds to play 16, which was weakening the 15 division. And the 15 division is a very important year for the development of the player. And the idea of having 15 only at the Tier 1 level was to have that development opportunity. So this was a rule that came out of the Tier 1 committee. Interestingly enough, while I backed the rule, and I, I thought it was a really good idea, still do, um, it was not my idea. This was the hockey directors, the eight hockey directors in Michigan, who unanimously voted uh, for that. And, um, you know, where they want to, we want to look at it for two or three years to see what it really does. But so far, the results have been really good. Kids should play in their own age level, um, and they should dominate. They should learn how to be great at the age level in which they are. And one of these things now from a development standpoint um, is, you know what, if you're going to, by pushing kids too quickly uh, uh, to higher levels, we have a tendency to train and develop more third and fourth line players because a lot of kids can't handle it, right? The top, top kids, if they can handle it, you know, but what would you rather do? You know, you'd rather score four goals as a 15-year-old playing 16-year hockey, or would you rather score 35? What's going to make you a better player? That's the rationale. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, well, it's good I to hear because I, I agreed with it. When I first saw that the rule was coming into fruition, I was like, ooh, that's going to get some backlash. <laughs> but I, I think it's a good rule, and it's interesting to hear you say that. So this was implemented, was it last year was the first year that this uh, went through? This season has been the first year, and this I believe season, okay. Illinois – uh, followed up uh, with the same thing. Oh, okay. Okay, I wasn't aware of that. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a very interesting, it's certainly a very interesting debate and uh, it will be interesting to see how, how it uh, you know comes out on the end. But I, I, I do think there's a lot of merit to what you're talking about. And uh, I, I applaud you guys for making a move like that because I can imagine you guys were sitting there like, oh man, if we do this, we are going to catch some crap. <laughs> so um, <Yeah>. good <laughs> on you. <laughs> Uh, Jeff, do you have any others? That's all I got for now. Okay. Well, Bob, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This has been fantastic. Like I said, you are our second most downloaded. So maybe after this one, some new listeners will go back and listen to it and you can catch Kaner uh, in, in his interview. But uh, certainly appreciate your perspective and appreciate how much work you do for USA Hockey and, uh, and all the kids and families that benefit from all of your hard work. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast and uh, wish you some safe travels. Are you going out to Kalamazoo today? I am. I'm headed out to Kalamazoo, and I want to thank both you guys, Topher and Jeff, for having me. And, you know, this kind of discussion and this kind of open dialogue, this is so important to what we all do, and we all love this game. So right, wrong, or indifferent, these are the things, these are the, uh, uh, these are the conversations we have to have. So thank you guys for providing this. Love it. Awesome. Love it. Thank Thanks, you. Bob. You hey. are the best. <laughs> yeah.